How impossibly stylish. Alice had always thought she would have a country wedding. She dreamed, even as a little girl, of a small stone church, of walking through a white wooden gate in a soft feminine puff of a dress, fresh flowers in her hair and a bouquet of hand-picked wild daisies in her hand. The groom had been unimportant. Her fantasy had ended at the church door, but she knows the groom, even in her fantasies, would never have been as handsome or as successful as Joe. At university, when she and Emily sat up late into the night, discussing their nights in shining armour, Alice said she thought her ideal man would probably be an artist, or a craftsman, or a gardener. She had laughed as she said it, laughed at the unlikeliness of any lasting relationship, let alone marriage, given that her longest relationship at that time had been three weeks. And before meeting Joe, her longest relationship had been three months. Not a good record, she had groaned to Emily when they were both planning on growing old together. Means nothing, Emily had reassured. Once you find him, you'll be married for life. Me? I'll probably get divorced after six months. Alice had laughed, but even as she laughed, she was thinking she wished she could be more like Emily. Emily, who didn't want to settle down, who was quite happy, flirting and flitting from one boy to the next— who claimed to have been born with a fatal allergy to commitment. So a country wedding with a group of smiling toddlers. She had hoped that by the time she got married, if she ever got married, someone somewhere would have been able to provide the smiling toddlers, throwing down a blanket of rose petals and giggling as they walked up the aisle behind her. She had envisaged a sea of straw hats and floral dresses, the sun beating down on her bare arms as she emerged from the church, hand in hand with her other half. When Joe proposed, she had told him about her dream wedding, and he had smiled at her indulgently and said it was a lovely fantasy, but they couldn't possibly get married in the country when both of them lived in London, and anyway didn't she agree that winter weddings were so much smarter? She didn't agree, but felt she had to, because after all Joe was paying for it. Alice's parents didn't have a penny, and Joe was determined to have a wedding that he judged fitting for the head of the health care business in mergers and acquisitions at Godfrey Hamilton Salts. They would have a lovely old Bentley to drive them to the church. Bye-bye, shire horses and lovely old carriage. She would wear a simple but elegant gown, so long, cream puff of a dress, and a friend of his who was a jeweller would almost definitely lend her a stunning diamond tiara for her hair. See you later, fresh flowers. So Alice went through the motions of planning her wedding. Every evening she would tell Joe of her decisions, and every morning she would have to phone florists, dressmakers, photographers, to inform them that actually she'd discussed it with her fiancé and the plans would be changing. Would they mind terribly, she would say, if instead of pretty mauve hydrangeas and tulips, they had dark red roses and berries, and not the dress she had designed with a tulle skirt to rival anyone in Swan Lake, but a sleek, simple sheath of a dress with long bell sleeves and a matching coat. Joe had flicked through some bridal magazines and showed Alice what would suit her. And so sorry, but actually they didn't want informal fun pictures as they had discussed, but formal family groupings that would take place during the reception. Alice drains her coffee and steals a quick glance in the hall mirror to confirm what she already knows. Deep bags under her eyes— proving that last-minute nerves are not just an old wives' tale. Alice has spent the night tossing and turning, fear rising up in a wave of nausea, common sense trying to push it back down again. 
After all, isn't she the luckiest girl in the world? What woman would not want to marry Joe? Joe, with his winning smile and easy charm, his broad shoulders and playful humour. Joe, who could quite feasibly have married anyone he wanted, and he chose Alice. Alice! Men like Joe did not usually look at women like Alice, or if they did, it was one quick, curious glance followed by instant dismissal, for the Alices of this world held nothing for men like Joe. The only child of adoring parents, he had been brought up to believe he was God, his mother's fault, to believe that every woman would fall in love with him, his mother's fault, and to believe that a woman's role in life was to do whatever Joe wanted. Naturally, his mother again. Even now, on her wedding day, Alice feels like she has to keep pinching herself. Thirty years old and used to unrequited crushes on men who never seemed to notice her, Alice didn't seriously think she'd ever find her other half. She might have had her dream wedding in mind, but in truth she was secretly convinced she would grow old with her cats, a kimono-clad spinster who would surround herself with eccentric people and end up living vicariously through her younger, prettier friends. Alice has always thought of herself as rather plain. Everyone who knows Alice has always thought of her as rather plain. She was the shy, mousy girl in the playground who was always last to be picked for teams, and even then she knew she was only ever picked because it was a choice between her or Tracy Balcom, and Tracy Balcom had flat feet and B.O. Alice was left until last because no one ever seemed to notice her. At age fourteen she had become known as Wallpaper, a name that would be said with a snigger, although frankly it never bothered her. She quite liked the fact that she faded into the background, that she could watch her classmates and think her thoughts without anyone ever bothering her. It only started to bother her when she discovered boys. Up until then, Alice had been quite happy with her horses. Her sketch pads were covered with badly drawn pictures of horse heads, mostly of her favourite, Betsy, complete with hearts, saying, Alice loves Betsy, and Betsy for Alice and her daydreams consisted largely of Betsy and Alice steaming ahead to victory in local gymkhanas. But one morning the girls of Lower Four awoke to discover hormones raging through their developing bodies, and Alice found herself dreaming of Betsy less and less, and more of faded jeans and a cute smile that belonged to a boy named Joe at the boys' school round the corner. They were on the same bus route, and Alice would stand in the newsagents for what felt like hours, pretending to flick through magazines, waiting for Joe to arrive. She would stand behind him, staring at the back of his head, willing him to notice her. And although once or twice he clearly felt her gaze and turned to meet her eyes, there was not a flicker of interest, and he turned away to laugh with a friend. It was to become a familiar pattern. Throughout her twenties, Alice fell head over heels for men who didn't notice her, strong, handsome, confident men. Men who walked through life with an assurance that Alice coveted, that Alice hoped would somehow rub off on her if she got close enough, which she never managed to do. Until she met Joe again. She had known Joe for years. He had been a friend of Ty's, her older brother, at school, one of the boys on whom she had had a huge and painful crush. She remembered watching him chat up the prettiest girl in her school at a local disco, watched him laugh and smile with her, his face moving closer and closer as he leaned in for a kiss, before taking her hand and leading her out the door. Rumour had it that he had gone back to her house, kissed her goodnight, then an hour later shinned up the drainpipe and stolen her virginity. 
It was the stuff of which legends were made, and Joe was, even then, a legend. At fourteen years old, he was going out with a twenty-year-old Danish au pair girl who lived round the corner. According to the boys in the class, she was a cross between Farrah Fawcett and Jerry Hall. Joe was responsible for a thousand broken teenage hearts, and Alice and Emily would sit for hours and talk about how much they hated him, each of them secretly longing for him to notice them. And then one day the doorbell rang, and Alice ran to answer it, nearly fainting when she discovered Joe standing on the doorstep. Her fifteen-year-old heart threatened to give way as a hot flush crept up her cheeks, staining them scarlet. Joe had raised an eyebrow, amused. Not his type at all, but he liked to see the effect he had on women. It reassured him, made him feel secure. And what harm would it do to encourage her a little? It was only a bit of fun. Hello, Ty's sister, he smiled, his voice low and flirtatious. You look lovely. Are you going somewhere nice? It amused him to see her blush further, and still more to see she had quite literally lost the power of speech. Alice managed to mumble something and stumbled away when Ty appeared. Hey, Joe, he said, grabbing his coat. Hope you're not chatting up my sister. And they both laughed at how ridiculous that would be as they disappeared up the path. But Alice had been spun into a fervour. She had called Emily immediately, and Emily had come round to analyse, inspect, and dissect every word. They had locked themselves in Alice's bedroom, each slumped on a beanbag, squealing with excitement as they went over and over the one sentence he had uttered, trying to understand what it meant. "'Say it again,' Emily pleaded. "'Tell me again what he sounded like when he said you look lovely.' They formulated a plan of action.' 